I have, uh, I'm going to take a few moments. I'm going to go ahead and start my watch since y'all are in house anymore and you can't just shut me off like you can online. <clears throat> uh, I say I'm going to do it. There we go. All right. It started. Um, I've been reading the book of Philippians this week and just remind, being reminded what an amazing book that that book is, that letter, the letter of Philippians. And I want to unpack something to you today out of the the book of Philippians. And so the, the sermon title is a question, and the question is this, are you happy? You know, God wants you happy. He really wants you to be hilariously happy to where people think you might be a little bit insane because you keep laughing and keep giggling and you just everywhere you go, you got that quirky little smile on your face and nothing seems to be able to rob you of your joy. Listen, people ought to think you're whacked. They ought to think you're weird, right? Because weird means marked by the supernatural. So yeah, I want you to know, and I know I've said this before, you have divine permission to be happy. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be sad. I read a statistic that said that um, pro- oh, at, at some point in their lives, 90% of the United States population will struggle with depression. Well, you know, the church is part of that population. We ought, to get, we ought to not be part of that. If we're in Christ, depression ought never enter into our lives. We ought really never know a sad day. Because a blue day, a depressed day, is a, a sad day is a sign of disbelief. At that moment, you're not believing. And I know that because I've been there. Right? When we first started Real Life Church and nothing was happening, we had about a year where Deborah did not want to be near me on Monday. Because Monday was a bad day. It was a blue day because nothing I did was working. Well, I was looking to my own efforts. Right? We're just going to keep it honest. I was being self-reliant instead of God-reliant and looking at numbers to make me happy. We can be happy in spite of our circumstances. And so if you would go to the book of Philippians chapter 4, since we don't have the screen, you're going to have to do it the old-fashioned way. Pull out your phone. (laughs) (laughs) Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to read to you just a portion out of verse 11. And and I want to say really the better title should have been, Hey, beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, are you kidding me? Double dose. It's a heart with love. Oh, that's all right. Pretty girls can always interrupt me. Woo! Yeah, under 10. (laughs) Where was I? That was a distraction. A a welcome one, though. I'm so glad to see you. Have I said that? I've already told you how happy I am to see y'all. Or, hey, you look good, man. It's so good to see you. So anyway, I get, a better question would have been, and is this, but it would have been too long in the presentation. Have you learned to be happy? Yes. Have you learned to be happy? Go with me to Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. And again, I'm just going to read just a portion of verse 11. Paul said this. He said, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. That's a very simple statement, but it has massive applications. When Paul wrote this, 
he was in isolation of sorts. He was in prison. And he was in solitary confinement at the lowest level of the prison in Rome. And he was facing the end of his life. These were not good times. I just said this to you a few moments ago. Listen, when things are bad, that's when God shines the brightest. And it always has been historically when we read the Bible and we see these amazing things God did. We need to understand when he did those outstanding things, it's because the people were at the lowest ebb of their lives. We really don't read about a lot of exploits when everything was good. So when things go bad, whether by our fault or someone else's fault, it really. But when things are going south, our hands ought to go north and give God praise because we know that even in the midst of this trial, even in the midst of this situation, my God, everyone say my God. There ain't no God like your God. Other gods can fail. Your God don't fail. Other gods can run out of resources, be they Republican or Democrat. They can run out of resources. But Jehovah, Yahweh, Adonai, Jesus Christ, our Father, the Creator of all, never runs out of resources, so we ought never run out of praise. Hallelujah. Paul said that I, when he was in the midst of this horrible circumstance, in isolation, in quarantine, if you would, he said, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am in. And what I, for the next 37 minutes and 42 seconds, I want to unpack as well as I can this verse to you, because if you and I will learn what Paul learned, we can be an overcomer like, you know, some, do you know Paul changed the world? That part of his ability to change the world was learning how to be content in any and all circumstances. He learned how to be happy. He learned how to be joy-filled in spite of, not because of his circumstances. And Paul said this in the same book. He said, whatever you see of me, whatever you've heard of me, whatever you've learned from me, practice those things. What Paul was saying was follow me as I have followed Christ. Mimic me and in mimicking me, you'll be mimicking him. So Paul said, I have learned. Everyone say learned. I'm glad that he used this word because, you know, there are some things you can't learn. You're either born with or you ain't. Right. If if Paul had just been born with this indomitable personality, then maybe you and I wouldn't be able to be as strong as he was. Because, you know, there are. Listen, can I, I could take voice lessons for the rest of my life and it might ease your pain. But it ain't never going to make me an opera singer. Why? Because I just wasn't born with it. My wife deals with it, but I wasn't born with it. So there are some things you can't learn. Y'all following me? But if, if, if it can be learned, then you and I ought to learn it. If it can be learned, we can grasp it. Paul said, I have learned. I wasn't always this way, but I have learned to be content. And so Paul holds this, this lesson. He holds it out as a, an achievement, a crowning achievement, as something to be emulated and aspired to. You and I need to learn to be content because when we learn to be content, we'll become stable. Until you're content, you'll never be stable. 
And you know what James says about an unstable man? One who's up one day and down the next, and one day he's singing hallelujah, and the next day he's saying crucify that man. James said, let not that man expect to receive anything from God. You and I don't have to be unstable because we have a lot of things. We have the Holy Ghost, a great teacher. We have the Word, a great textbook. And we can learn the very same lessons that Paul learned. We can live like Paul so we can turn our world upside down. You and I can be world changers. So what was it Paul learned? Paul said, I've learned to be content. Everyone say content. Because this is something that I want to unpack for just a second. He said that when we're studying the Bible, you know, the scripture tells us that we have to study the word, not just read it. We have to study it. We have to study it to show ourselves approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. And literally what that means is when you study the word, when you do more than just peruse it, you just, you know, the, the, the Bible was written by a genius. I, this is just pretext. I ain't in the sermon yet. But the Bible was written by an absolute genius and he wrote it in layers. He wrote it so the, 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 the surface layer is interesting. And the, the goal is that what you find on the surface would be interesting enough to get you to dig down below to see what's down deep because the real treasure is in the deepness. So on the surface, he puts glitter. Underneath, he puts gold. And so in order to get to the gold, we got to be intrigued or interested by the glitter. But to study to show yourself approved so you'll never need be ashamed. Meaning, if you know what the Bible says, you'll never experience anything that'll leave you with a sense of shame. For in every circumstance, no matter what comes, no matter how harsh, no matter how hostile, no matter how big your enemy, you will forever and always be victorious. You will forever and always be a winner. You will be a champion. Yes, sir. But you got to get the word, man. You got to get the word. You know, I I was just sharing something. Is this okay this morning? I'll I'll get to the sermon in a little bit. I'm just so happy to see y'all. There's rabbits. Lewis running everywhere. I don't even know which one to chase. (laughs) I was just telling you when we were talking about the prevalence of fear in our society today, I told my wife, I said, the only antidote to fear is the word. Not motivational statements, not inspirational statements, not online quotes. We got to know the word because the word is the antidote to the fear that is strangling our nation. The, 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 The word is the antidote to the fear that's struggling and strangling our churches. We need the word. Amen. Amen. So in order to understand the word, we got to do a couple things. One, we got to understand that when 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 a word is used, it may not mean what we think it means. One of my favorite movies is The Princess Bride. Y'all ever watch The Princess Bride? Princess Bride is an amazing, quirky movie. I like The Princess Bride. And, and there's one where this one guy, I think what he, he keeps using a word. I can't remember what the word was. I think it was uh, inconceivable. Everything was inconceivable. And finally, the swordsman looked at him and said, you keep using that word. I do not think that word means what you think it means. And, 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 and a lot of times when we're reading the Bible, you got to understand that that word may not mean what you think it means. And so what we have to do is to the best of our ability to discover what that word means originally. Right. You know, words change with every passing generation. A word may change. We may say it the same way, but we don't apply it the same way. 
Right? There was a, my, my grandpa used to say I'm gay. He was not de declaring a sexual orientation. He was declaring a state of emotional being. I'm happy. Well, I don't emulate my grandpa. Because that word has changed. Y'all following me? Now if you say I'm gay, you're making a declaration of sexual orientation. Same word, different application. So we need to understand that if you go back 2,000 years, when Paul said I'm content... It may not have meant the way we originally and on the surface interpret it. Because even if you look up in a Webster's Dictionary, is this okay this morning? If you look up in a Webster's Dictionary, the word content, it means to be satisfied. And the imagery is this. You imagine, you know, you come home from a hard day work and you flop down into that overstuffed recliner of yours and you pop the top on a root beer because you are a Christian. And you put your left hand in an endless, bottomless bowl of Doritos. And your husband asks you, do you need any? See, you thought I was going to say your wife. But your husband says, baby, you need anything? And you say, no, nah, I'm content. What you're saying is I'm satisfied and I ain't moving. I'm right here. I'm content. I'm happy. I'm comfortable. And I ain't getting up off this recliner. Right? Do you think that's what Paul intended to say, that I'm satisfied with what I know about Jesus? I'm satisfied with where I am in Christ. I'm satisfied with what I've done in life. Was that, does that definition hold up to what we know about Paul? No, 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 because no, I'm telling you what, when you study the life of Paul, Paul was on fire, man. Paul never stopped. He was the ever-ready ever bunny on steroids. That dude never, even, even right before he died, he asked for another pen and another paper because he had another revelation he wanted yes. to give. He didn't stop till they killed him. So Paul never reached a place of satisfaction where he said, I'm comfortable where I am. Y'all, wow. we'll get that straightened out. We need to figure out where that's coming from. The, Paul never reached a place in his life where he just said, y'all do the best you can. I'm done. Do you know the word retire is not in the Bible? That's just a side thought. Christians waiting to retire from what? You don't retire from your call. You don't retire from doing things for the kingdom. You understand what I'm saying? So this, this, this defining the word contentment as satisfaction is counterproductive to a kingdom life because, you know, in the kingdom, we are always advancing. Y'all feeling what I'm saying to you this morning? I'm trying to tell you how to be happy because when, when we become sluggish and we become passive and we think, I've got enough for my four and no more and we're happy and we settle down, that will rob you of your joy and you will no longer be an overcomer because in order to be an overcomer, you've got to keep progressing. In order to be an overcomer, you have got to every day, no matter how that day feels, put one foot in front of another. Because even if you're in the valley of the shadow of death, you got to keep moving, keep trucking, have a goal before you. You can never become satisfied. Because when you become content as in satisfied, you settle for less. Years ago, when my wife and I just came off the mission field, I got my first pick-em-up truck. It wasn't much. To let you know how little it was, I paid 50 cents for it. 
Actually, it was a dollar, but I got a trailer. So I say I got the trailer for 50 cents and the truck for 50 cents. And, and, and it, it was... It, it, <sighs> I had to stuff paper between the metal of the body and the glass because it felt like the glass was shaking so much it was going to break. None of the instrumentation worked. So I never knew how fast I was going or how far I'd gone. My wife used to say, love, you got to get rid of that truck. That truck ain't good for your vision. I really think it wasn't good for her vision because I was content. Now, listen to me. I was satisfied. So because I was satisfied, I would never make the effort to increase. I would never plan for increase. I wouldn't provide for increase. I didn't want increase because I was content. If we define content as being satisfied, then contentment becomes counterproductive to the call of God on our lives. And that's not the lesson that Paul learned because the life story of Paul is not one of satisfaction. Is this okay? You get, let me, in fact, let me show you something that Paul said here. Go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul was not the kind of man that we'd ever consider to be satisfied. He said this in verse 14 of chapter 3, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Even in prison, Paul was saying, I ain't stopping. Nothing's going to stop me. Whatever they do to me, wherever they put me, if they put me in the dungeon, I'm still going to do. They put me in jail, I'm going to sing his praises. How many of you remember the, the jail at Philippi? Yes. He was chained. You know, for most of us, can we just keep it real? Most of us, if we got put in prison and chained, our praise would go quiet. But not Paul's. Paul said, you know what, I'm in prison. I'd rather be on that sofa, but I'm in prison. My feet are chained. My hands are chained. This place is dark and this place stinks. And what did he begin to do? He began to sing praises and hymns to God. Why? Because when we learn what Paul learned, we become unstoppable. When we learn what Paul learned, there are no weapons formed against us that will prosper. See, you and I have the potential. We might live like Pee Wee Herman, but we have the potential of being supermen and wonder women. We have the potential to be overcomers. We have the potential to change our world. But there's some things we have got to learn, and we've got to learn to be dissatisfied with our progress. Like Paul, we might be happy with the path we're on, but never become satisfied with the progress you've made upon that path. Because there's always one, one more revelation. There's always one more step to take. There's always one more business to build. There's always one more song to write. There's always one more poem to pen. There's always one more thing you can do so that when you do eventually leave this world, you leave it having won with no vision left undone, no dream left unmanifested. And you may have gone through some storms, but baby, when you came out the other side, and you will always come out the other side. When you come out the other side, you will have Come out yes. stronger, leaner, and yes. smarter than you were when you went in. Yes. How are you going to come out of this season? You're going to come out better. Yes. 
And you're going to come out happier. Because if you listen to what I'm teaching you this morning, the devil will never be able to steal your joy. Mm. Paul said, I press. I don't ever stop. The question is, are we content? Are you content? Sometimes to know, listen to this, sometimes to know what something is, it's good to describe what it ain't. Paul wasn't satisfied. Neither was Paul complacent. Because another thing about someone who believes that contentment means you're satisfied at a certain level, you listen, you can be content with failure. Do you remember the 12 spies? They had the opportunity for success, but they chose failure because you... There, listen, I'm gonna, there are some people, they've learned so identi- to so identify with their pain that they choose pain over pleasure. And what they don't understand is that beauty is greater than ashes. And that joy is more powerful than sorrow. And light is greater than darkness. And life is greater than death. We ought always to choose the greater because the greater one abides within us. And so if it's greater, if what I have opportunity to do is greater than what I'm doing, choose the greater. If what I have opportunity to possess is greater than what I possess, choose the greater. Everyone say choose the greater. You should always choose the greater. And sometimes to choose the greater, you've got to let go of the less. Paul said, forgetting about those things that are behind me. That's what you do. I got to forget about those things that are behind me. Why? Because I'm pressing on toward a brighter future that's filled with greater opportunity don't ever lose sight of the fact that the tomorrow for the believer in christ tomorrow has opportunity we may have missed the opportunities of yesterday and they may have stolen the opportunities of today but baby they can't touch tomorrow they can't touch tomorrow because they are creatures of the moment, but we serve a God who lives beyond time. Yes. Yes. This ain't in my notes, but I'm preaching to myself if I ain't preaching to no one else. So Paul, Paul learned a new skill. He wasn't satisfied. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Most of his writing was done in hostile environments. He was either being chased out of the city imprisoned in the city, or stoned at the city gates. Most of his writing was done in hostile circumstances and situations. Yet he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And it has been said that Paul, the apostle, is the most quoted author of all time. Every preacher who has ever preached a sermon anywhere has plagiarized Paul. Paul's an example... Are y'all getting this? Paul said, listen, y'all, when he wrote this letter of the Philippians, it wasn't just to them. It was to every Christ follower who would ever come in any land at any time. Paul said, go into the pages of history and learn from me. You want to know how to be an overcomer? I'm showing you the example. You want to know how to win? I'm writing it down for you. Just do what I tell you to do. Learn the lessons I've learned. Learn how to be content. But content doesn't mean to be complacent because one thing, if we define contentment as satisfaction, we become complacent with where we're at. That's right. right. Never be complacent. Never be satisfied with where you are. Is this making sense to you this morning? 
So contentment was not complacency. It was not sluggishness, and it was not passivity. Paul just kept on going, go to the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, because I want to show you here where he was content. It's easy to be content when you're on the recliner. It's easy to be content when you've got your left hand in the bowl of Doritos and your right hand on that root beer. It's not so easy to be content when you're having to fight the good fight of faith. It's not so easy to be content when everything, when your cupboards are bare, you're in quarantine, you can't get with the people that energize you. Are y'all here this morning? So, you know, but this is a great time to learn how to energize yourself. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, Paul said this, I know these are the circumstances that he learned to be content in. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. Everyone say learned. Learn. He said, I've learned a secret. The secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. By claiming to be content, Paul was saying, I've learned, and I want you to say, I've learned how to live from within rather than without. I've learned how to live from a base of the truth rather than a foundation of a lie. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going to show you how Paul learned this lesson because if we read the entire book of Philippians he lays it out for us brilliantly how he learned Paul wasn't always content you remember there was a time when the Bible says of Paul that he breathed out threats that Paul was so discontent he sought to put pain on other people Paul was not content but he learned to be content he learned to be a man of peace Peace not being passive, but peace being tranquil. Another thing that contentment is not, I don't want to miss this. I want to, the, 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 contentment is not a resignation. Do you know what I mean by resignation? There are some people that they, they just resign themselves to their fate. I'm poor. I've always been poor. My mama was poor. My daddy was poor. My aunts are poor. My uncles are poor. Everyone in my family is poor. So I resign myself to poverty. That, that's another way of contentment. But once again, was this Paul? No, no, no. Paul, Paul didn't resign. Paul didn't just say, you know, devil, you can do whatever you want to do. And I'm just going to take it. Paul didn't just sigh when things weren't going his way. Paul was the one who told us, fight. That's Paul. So he wasn't resigned to hostile circumstances. Paul is the one who said, listen, when they come at you, when the devil comes against you, resist him. Don't give in to him. Don't resign and say, you know what? The Lord's lot in my life must be misery because I'm miserable. No, God did not ordain you to misery. God ordained you to joy. God did not ordain you to poverty. He ordained you to prosperity. God did not ordain you to disease. He ordained you to health. 
He created a system within you that fights germs. Do not resign yourself to what they say is inevitable. When the enemy comes against you, you resist him. The word resist means you push back. You push me, I'm going to push you back. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. Now the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. There's been some people, I got it, can I be honest with you? Some of the things I've seen going on, I've, I've stepped into the carnality side. I really have. I, I find myself being repulsed by fear. Yes. And I want to grab people and say, man, don't be like this. Yes. Wow. But the weapons of our warfare, our, our battle is not with flesh. It's with principalities. And it's with powers. And we, we resist those through prayer and the proclamation of His Word, and getting even louder and bolder in our faith, not as a self-righteous declaration of that my faith is greater than yours, but that He died to make all men free. All of us have the right to be free. And so when we see someone held captive by whatever it is they're being held captive by, our declaration is do not surrender your freedom, for Christ died to make you free. Walk in the liberty of life and be ye free. Amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. These are great days. Listen, Paul was not satisfied. Paul was not careless. Paul was not passive. Paul was not sluggish. So what had this world changer learned? This is what he learned. I want you to... It ain't on the screen, so you're all going to have... Paul learned to see the goodness of God in every circumstance. Paul, I want to say it again. Paul learned to see the goodness of God in every circumstance. You want, can I say, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit and I'll unpack this a bit more in our last few moments. The secret to contentment is Christ. Yes. Set your eyes upon Him. Look firmly into His eyes. Hear his voice, read his word. The secret to contentment is not seeking contentment. That's right. Contentment is not a byproduct of the will. Happiness is not a byproduct of the will. Joy is not a byproduct of the will. Well, Pastor, you said, Are you happy? Not even talking about his contentment. Because when you learn to be content, you will be happy. For it's in this very book where Paul said, he said, I've learned to be content. It's in this very book he also said, I say unto you, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. For when we learn to be content, we can be happy even in the midst of poverty. We can be happy and content even in prosperity. And do you know a greater struggle for most is prosperity rather than poverty? What Paul was saying is by learning to see the goodness of God every day, in every way, in every circumstance, he learned to live from within and not without, and he learned to be greater than his circumstances so his circumstances would never control him. And that, my friend, is the secret to really living. Yes. To be in the world and not of it, meaning that no one should ever know the hell you're going through by the scowl on your face. Yes. You should never betray your battle by your social post. Why are you seeking pity or are you seeking breakthrough? Yeah. 
If you're seeking breakthrough, the only one you're going to tell your troubles to is the Lord. You should never share your trials with anyone who's not capable of solving them. If you share, are y'all listening to me? I'm trying to help you right now. If you share your troubles with somebody who's not capable of solving them, the only thing you're doing is looking for pity. And you better appreciate pity when you get it because that's all you're going to get. Shundaliundai. But if you share your troubles with the Lord, you'll get answers. Answers that are unbreakable, unchangeable, and invincible. So you, listen, we need to learn to seek answers. Hallelujah, Father. By, listen to this. By controlling himself through contentment, Paul robbed his circumstances of controlling him. I want to say that again. You all want to get this? I want you to get this. Everyone say, I'm getting it. By controlling himself, Paul robbed his circumstances of the ability to control him. Paul was a man. He was a man who changed his world. And you and I can follow his example and be just like him. Are y'all getting this? Yes, we can be so strong in the spirit that even if they put us in prison, we change our world. Amen. We can be so strong in the spirit that no matter what they do against us, no matter who abandons us, no matter who leaves, you know, we got to be so strong that even if everyone leaves because of our stance in Christ, we don't change our position. That's right. Too many of us are people reliant. That's right. Too many of us, are, we need people to applaud us in order. This is the reason why we lie on social media. We want everyone to think we're something we're not, so they'll applaud us and then we can receive something from their applause. If you're, listen, if you can be, is this okay? I'm, I, this is a rabbit and it's all Lewis's fault. He prophesied it years ago. If, if, we, if we need people's praise to build us up, you got to understand you can be victimized by their criticism. If their praise can build you up, their criticism can tear you down. But when you learn to be content and to find your identity solely and completely and only in Jesus Christ, the one person who knows everything about you and ain't never said a bad thing about you. The one person who never shares your secrets. The one person who never uses the information he has against you. When we find our identity in Him, if people applaud us, that's okay. It doesn't build us up. And if they criticize us, that's okay because it doesn't tear us down. Why? Because it's in Him that I live and I move and I have my being. I live in Him. And the freedom that comes from that, the contentment that comes from that, that knowing that even if a thousand people leave us, He has never left us. He will never forsake us. He will never abandon us. In Christ alone is victory. And so contentment is not a byproduct of the will. Being happy is not a byproduct of a confession. Being happy and being content and being strong is the byproduct of keeping our unbroken focus on Christ. Hallelujah, Father. Let me read. I want to read verse 12 again out of Philippians 4. I want to read it to you out of the Passion Translation. I'm only halfway through. And I got three minutes. The Passion Translation, Philippians 4. This is what Paul said here. I know what it means to lack. And I know what it means to experience overwhelming abundance. 
For I'm trained in the secret of, of overcoming all things, whether in fullness or in hunger. And I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. Isn't that amazing? You know, the one thing about crises of any kind is it exposes all the frailties of our faith. When a crisis comes, it exposes the cracks in our foundation. But even that's not a point of condemnation. When we see that there's a crack, yes. what do you do? You fill it. Yeah, that's you right. fix it. When you, when, you, when you discover there's a frailty, yeah. that maybe I'm not as strong yeah. as I thought I was, because when everything was good, yeah. Cleve, I was dancing right with you. Me too. But then when things got bad, I sat down. Well, there's no, no condemnation. There's never any condemnation. What there is is, okay, I realize I'm not as strong as I thought I was. You know, it, 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 I, I fooled myself many times. Because when I look in the mirror, I'm a Herculean God. Because I bought one of those trick mirrors that remove all the flab. But then when I go to lift something, and I got to go visit Dr. Jeff. And Dr. Jeff says, Jimmy, what did you do this time? Well, you know that box that said four people? I thought I could lift it with one. That exposed the frailty, a weakness in my system. So I don't just sit down and die. I go get it fixed. I learn what to do. If I got to strengthen it, I strengthen it. If he's got to pop it, he pops it. But do something to make me better. And that's the way we ought to be in our kingdom walk. Instead of feeling bad and running away. No, I don't even want to go there. After this, there will be some people never return to church. They'll never return because they, they, they well, I'm inferior. I gave in. I gave in to fear. I gave away. I slinked away. And so they run away. Don't do that. Don't do that. There's no condemnation. If there's an exposure of a frailty, we fix it. We go back into the book of Psalms and we learn how to praise again. We go back into the book of Philippians and we discover how great our Christ is. But what we do is redouble our efforts. God, if you got to pop me, pop me. You got to crack me, crack me. You got to adjust me, adjust me. But whatever you do, I ain't giving up. Hallelujah, Father. Keeping our eyes upon him will make us content. I need to skip some of this. Otherwise, you'll never get home and our live stream will just cut off. Who has some good stuff to be skipping, y'all? We need to learn. Listen, that's right. There ain't nowhere else you can go. We've already visited home in Lowe's. I was, I was, I was, I felt bad for you, John. Can I just, John comes off a 40 day fast. And we're looking forward to going to a restaurant together and they all close on us. I thought about you the other day. I thought, bless his heart, man. He just came off a 40 day fast and there ain't no fried chicken nowhere. I prayed for you, man. God give him strength. Well, listen, what Paul, what Paul was saying is this, listen, he said, when, when things are good, I've learned how to keep my eyes on Jesus because you see, this is just the way life is. Can we keep it real for a moment? There will be bad days even for the strongest of believers. Your faith does not isolate you from trials. It strengthens you in the midst of them. When, when, when Jesus Christ knew that Satan himself had, had asked for permission to sift Peter as wheat, Jesus said, hey, Peter, I prayed for you and you ain't going through it. 
Peter, I got between you and that dude, and you ain't going through this. No, that's not what Jesus Christ prayed. He said, Peter, the devil has received permission. He asked for it, and he got permission to sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you, Peter. Thank you, Jesus. Would you pray? I prayed that when you go through, would I say what? <laughs> I prayed that Peter, when you go through it, you won't crumble. Come on. Your faith is going to be strong, come and on. when you come out the other side, you'll be able to strengthen your brethren. Come on. Yeah, okay, I like that strengthening, but couldn't we adjust the first part of the prayer? <laughs> this is what I want to say to you, saints. You and I need to learn to be stronger than our circumstances. That when things are good, we keep our eyes on Jesus because then when they turn bad, our eyes are still on Jesus. So that no matter whether it's a day of surplus or it's a day of down, whatever, downgrading, surplus or downturn, whether they hire you or lay you off, your eyes are fixed upon him. And you know that if ain't no bread coming from BMW, bread is going to come from heaven. If there ain't no bread coming from them, bread is going to come from heaven. And if there ain't no applause coming from men, applause is going to come from heaven because my eyes aren't upon men. I'm not looking at earth to meet my needs. I'm looking firmly at Jesus Christ. And I'm saying, God, you have declared it. You're not a man that you would lie. You said it. You'll watch over your word to perform it. Come hell or high water, I'm standing right here. And I ain't leaving this spot. And my God will meet all of my needs according to his riches and glory. And therein is the power of contentment. Because I'm no longer a victim of circumstances. Some folks can't survive prosperity because they take their eyes off of God and put it on their accounts. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16. For what, well, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now I want you to notice here, and I just want to unpack this real quick. He didn't say spirit. So many times when we read this or we've heard it taught, we think that a rich man's going to hell. That's not what the scripture says. It says loses his soul. He loses the joy of life. He loses his emotional state because he puts all of his trust in the uncertainty of riches. He loses the best part of his life because he's so busy gaining, he doesn't enjoy the laughter of his child. He's so busy gaining, he, doesn't, he never has time for church and the fellowship of the saints. He's so, he loses his soul in the pursuit of prosperity. Prosperity is a greater trial because many people, listen, it's in, uh, influence and money is an addiction. Yes, it is. Right. And they're no longer content because very often, the th I don't even know if I should go down this road. Prosperity feeds an endless ambition. And one needs to become two, and two needs to become four, and big needs to become bigger. Yeah. And pretty soon you're in a race that has no end, and you lose your soul in the pursuit. You yeah. lose all the things that God sent into your life to be a treasure in the ambition of the one thing that won't last. Okay. Paul said you got to learn to be content even in the midst of prosperity. Yes. Good. Does that make sense? Yes, and if you can survive prosperity, you can survive poverty. Yes. That's right. I'm trying to hurry, y'all. The question is, are ye content? Have we learned to be humble before God? Listen to this. Not equate a lack of stuff as a lack of God's care. I want to say that again. Do not equate a lack of stuff as a lack of God's care. This is a massive achievement. And Paul had learned to go without. He had learned to go without friends. He had learned to go without comforts. Some can't go on without anything. They don't handle death, divorce, departure well. They become stuck, like Samuel, who almost missed David. 
Even when Moses died, the people got stuck at a departure. They couldn't handle loss well. God had to declare from heaven, Moses, my servant, is dead. Yes. Go on. Yes. Pastor, what's that got to do with this? If, in order to be happy, you've got to understand there are some things from your old past you don't want to bring into the future. This moment right here, I preached a message a couple weeks ago, and I'll bring this to a close as soon as I'm done. <clears throat> I preached a message a couple weeks ago. Y'all need to hear it. Reassess, reassign, and realign. That this time of crisis is a perfect time for you to make some decisions. You know what? That thing ain't, ain't in my life no more. Don't go back to it. That person ain't in my life no more. It's a perfect time to lose contact. Reassess. Reassign and realign so when we come out of it, we're more firmly focused and aligned with His desires, His plans, and His precepts. This could be a very good thing for all of us. But we got to learn to understand some things, have, some things have just died. Let them die. Okay, I'm going to close with Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Once again, <clears throat> while I say I'm going to close, i got another thing I want to read to you. I'm going to read chapter 8, and then I'm going to give you three things that will help you find contentment. Paul hit them all in Philippians chapter 4. You all can give me two more minutes? As one wise man just said, there ain't nowhere else to go. (laughs) Romans chapter 8, verse 28, again the Passion Translation. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are His lovers who have been called to fulfill His designed purposes. Is that not good? Now, in closing, here are three things that just before service, I went ahead and printed these out because I realized that just to say keep your eyes on Christ, that's too vague for some people. How do you do that? He's invisible. He doesn't live next door to me. I can see Cleve. I can see my wife. I can see Steve. How do you keep your eyes on Jesus? How do you find contentment in someone you don't see? Well, Paul gave us three things right here, in, and that ain't it. That ain't it. This is it. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, first thing he said, Be cheerful with joyous celebration in every season of life. Let joy overflow, for you are united with the anointed one. If you want to be content, learn to be joy-filled. Don't let anything steal. Choose to be happy. Find something in that day, in that trial, in that thing that you you can rejoice about. Be cheerful with joyous celebration in every season of life. Verse 6, listen to this. Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day. Offering your faith-filled request before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell Him every detail of your life. So step number one, be cheerful. Don't give in to the blues. Don't give in to sadness. Refuse. Resist that. And the second thing is, don't neglect prayer. In this season, pray. That's right. You ain't got nothing else to do. How many times, how many things are you going to watch on Netflix? You've already seen it twice. It, can I tell you something? It ends the same way. Every time you watch Titanic, that old broad's going to throw that jewel over the edge of the boat. I hate the ending of that movie. I'm like, donate it. 
They should have created an alternate ending. But every time it ends the same way. So quit watching it. Pray. Listen to that in verse 7. Then God, then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. And then the number three thing. So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind, and fasten, everyone say fasten, fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising Him always. You want to know how to be content? Be happy, be prayerful, and choose to think on the right things. As I said this to you a couple of weeks ago, the state of your mind is determined by the object of your focus. Yes, it is. Amen. Choose to look at the right things and you'll have the right attitude. Choose to look at the wrong things and you'll fall apart. Yes, sir. Amen? Amen? Was that okay? Yes, Give the Lord a hand clap of praise if you received anything out of that. And then I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. As we bring this live stream to a close, we want to pray for those watching us at home.